you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Without further ado! That's what the game's all about. All of a sudden you feel like you can't miss. I'm just leave it up there. You couldn't make that if you tried that again. Absolutely not. Welcome to Buckets. My name's Matt Moore and I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Joined by professional better Raheem Palmer. Raheem, what's good? Yo, life is good. I cannot complain. We're in mid-season form. I'm just excited. Brandon Anderson, NBA Futures Analyst. How are you? I'm doing well. We are just past 41 games for some of these teams, the ones that played all of them. So we're at the mid-season. This is the point where things really start to ramp up. So I'm excited for it. Okay. So we are going to talk today about power ratings. A reminder that all of our analysis, everything that you need to know to bet. If you want to track your bets, download the Action Network app. Well, if you haven't done so and you're, you're just like, well, I like less of the pie, but I don't know, like I can track my own stuff. You will find so many ways to get advantage. You'll be like, oh, there is a better line over here. Oh, wow. The money is coming in on this other team and the lines move the other direction from the public. Wow. Oh, Matt took the Celtics again. Oh, no. All these things you'll be able to find and discuss and figure out. It helps you be a smarter, better. Download the Action Network app today. A reminder. Give us a five-star review on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I'm giving away a copy of Chris Herring's new book, Blood in the Garden, to somebody. Leave your Twitter handle in there. Let me know that you left a five-star podcast. Hit me up on Twitter at HB Basketball. Giving away a free copy to a random five-star listener. That book is phenomenal, by the way. There's one where they Riley had the forwards and centers line up on either side in two lines, and the guards had to dribble through them while getting hit. And, I'm, and one of them just like dribbled entirely around it, which is like, nope, 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 nope. Absolutely incredible stories from that book. Um, you're going to want it. Leave a five-star review. Today we're talking about power ratings. It's the mid-season. We're at the midway point of the season. And Brandon wanted to get a check-in on where, based off of our models, Raheem and I have our power ratings and talk about the differences between them. Brandon, take it away. I know it feels like all-star break is mid-season, but that ends up more like two-thirds of the season. We're trying on our Friday happy hour to, to rank things or draft things or put things in order. So I figured a good place to start that is at the midseason. We're going to rank teams, but we're going to rate teams. So let's start with that. So Matt, you, you made the distinction between power rankings and power ratings. These today are our power ratings. Tell us what's the difference between those two. So power ratings are typically used by both books and professional bettors to establish what the difference is between two teams for a line it's built off of a model now i've done power rankings before done them lots but that's just like 
well, okay, sure. They're this record and they have this net differential, but I know that they're a better team. And so you put them higher and, you know, oh, well, okay, sure. This team grades out well and they have a great point differential, but they're not going to win in the playoffs. So down they go. None of that. This is an objective measure. Now, in Raheem's case in particular, and correct me if I'm wrong, Raheem, manual adjustments and weights are made to correct for what the model spits out. Is that accurate? Yeah, but for the sake of this, I didn't make any manual adjustments at all. I just left it straight raw. Gotcha. So mm-hmm. our, our model spits out a number and we have two different models that like two. I, I wish it three because I use two. And then um, I, I have said this on every Buckets podcast we've done. You need to trust Raheem's. OK, I am test driving one. Now, <laughs> I've been more successful this season than any other. This has helped me so much just because you have to have, in my opinion, to bet the NBA sides and totals nightly, you have to have a number to compare it against. You can't just be like, well, I think that they're two possessions better than this. That's tough, right? You can be right that the team was better, but still lose because the spread was just a little bit too sharp for you. It's one of the reasons why so many betters feel that the NBA is too sharp. So I built two different models and one of them is what I call my matchup model. And that determines like specifically how these two teams and how they play. My power ratings model is basically versus an average team. So based off of the league averages for how often teams play in transition and on half court and how they perform in those areas, how do those teams compare in both offense and defense in half court and transition? And it gives me a number. Mine's pretty simple. Raheem is a lot more complicated. I think mine is actually simple. Like mine is pretty much, it takes into account net rating, like really heavily. So when you look at a team like the Jazz, for instance, their net rating is pretty high. So even though they continue to, to lose these games <laughs> as huge favorites, they're, they've blown out enough teams to where that's why their rate is so highly. So I got both of the power ratings from you guys. You gave me the, the, the raw number power rating for each team, non-adjusted, like you said, and I made a composite. I just put Raheem's number, Matt's number, I averaged them together. And basically what we're looking at is a, something like a net rating, a plus number or a minus number kind of represent the team. So what I want to do is just go through from one to 30. We're going to talk about every single team because we don't have time to do all that. We've talked about some of these teams plenty anyways, but I try to kind of pinpoint, okay, where do the tiers drop off between these different ratings? About every plus 1.5 is another new tier. So we'll go tier by tier and just kind of talk about where do the ratings stand out one different from each other between the two of your models and what does that mean? And also just which teams kind of stood out as like, cool. Do we realize this team is that high or that low? So start at the top really quickly, though. Suns, Warriors, Jazz are the top three in that order in our composite. So you both have different number ones. We've talked a lot about these teams. From your power rating system, Matt, you've got the Phoenix Suns number one. Make the case for why they are number one in your system. They're more consistent on both sides of the ball. So the big problem is that the Warriors offense is so pedestrian, especially as of late, that they've really fallen off and they've kind of tailed off. Now, they were number one in my model for a consistent long time, obviously, because they were just destroying teams. But as time has gone on, and Raheem's talked about this, about how their offense is a little bit solvable, they've really kind of dipped. I mean, if you look at Golden State offensively only has a 0.0145, 0.15 average uh, advantage on in, in uh, half-court offense. As a comparison, the Brooklyn Nets are at 0.03. Like, that's a big differential. So what I'm basically telling you is Golden State per possession is not all that much better than the average half-court offense or the average half-court defense allows. Like, they're just not necessarily having a big advantage there. The Suns, on the other hand, have a slightly better average offensively. They're not, they're not destroying it. They're good. It's 
0.03. Um, but in particular, they're also great on the defensive end in half court in particular. This is all half court for the Suns. They are uh, 0.05 better in half court defense. That gives them a monumental edge in half court. Um, one thing to note as we're kind of doing this, like one of the reasons I went with this approach, there's a number of reasons I went with the approach that I did. But one of the things that I was trying to do, teams primarily play in the half court. And over the course of a season, it slows down. And in the playoffs in particular, it slows down even more. And for me, if you ask me, how do you tell if a team is good? It's can you get stops in the half court? Can you get buckets in the half court? Because if a team gets back and plays good transition defense, that can really wear you out. We're going to talk about another team that that's got the impact of. So for me, the Suns have been better offensively and they are just killer defensively in the half court. And that gets them a massive edge. Golden State's close because of their transition stuff, but Golden State's half court offense simply hasn't been good enough to get them number one. Yeah, so Matt, you've got them at plus 9.9 for Phoenix, well out ahead, really in their own tier or a couple tiers above. Got the Warriors just behind the Jazz, actually, at third. Noted Warriors hater, Raheem, (laughs) has the Warriors at the top of his power ratings. So Raheem, why are they number one, and why don't you treat them like they're number one? (laughs) They have the best net rating in the league, and that's why they're there. I mean, look, they're 21-4 and in 10-point games. Suns are 21 and six in 10 point games. So, you know, that stuff matters. I don't treat them like they're number one because I said before, I don't trust this offense. And Steph Curry is slumping. And at some point in time in the playoffs, we're going to see teams are allowed to trap and they're allowed to pull and get physical with Steph Curry. You're going to need Andrew Wiggins. You're going to need Jordan Poole. You're going to need Clay Thompson coming off of an ACL and Achilles injury to be able to create their own shots. And there was a reason why this team had to bring Kevin Durant in. And I think you're going to see that. And I think we're seeing it right now with this offense. So when you're capping them nightly, how do you adjust it then? Like you're obviously taking out Draymond, right? Injuries are part of that. You got to adjust for Draymond being out. But what are the weights that you're putting on that kind of affects how, what the number ultimately gives you if this is your unadjusted? Um, I think it depends on the team. So like, Last week, we all liked the Bucks against the, the Golden State Warriors. There's no Draymond Green. The Warriors are going to struggle to be able to stop uh, a physical specimen like Giannis Antetokounmpo in the paint. But then you look at the next night, I'm coming right back. I'm taking the Warriors' money line against the Chicago Bulls, who they gave up 138 offensive rating to the Nets two nights previously. And even though the, the Bulls had a day off, Steph Curry still has that gravity to be able to get guys open shots. And I felt like the Bulls offense wasn't going to be able to keep up with the Warriors just based on how their defense was. So I think it's a night, it's, it's, it's a night to night league more than anything else. And you look at games against the Suns, they're able to switch. They still are a dominant defensive team. They're the best defensive team in the league. So you can't totally write off this Warriors team. I'm just speaking as far as the playoffs, when you need a basket, I don't know if they really have a guy other than Steph Curry who can help you do that. Look at you using switch. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you talking about the <laughs> coverages, Rob. <laughs> I'm just so glad that that sentence ended with other than Steph Curry. I really thought we were just going to not have a guy to get a bucket in the playoffs. And I was just about to melt down, but let's keep moving. We'll say plenty more about the Suns, Warriors, Jazz, because I got to get to number four in the power ratings. By the way that the composite worked out, they're in a tier all on their own. They're the top team in the East in our power ratings. They're not the Nets. They're not the Bucks. They're not the Bulls. 
the Cleveland Cavaliers. You both have them in your top five, Raheem at four, Matt at five. So what does it mean for the Cavs that we have them so high in the power ratings and at the top of the East, do we need to take them more seriously than we have been, Matt? The Cavs' big edge here is, from my perspective, um, is in transition. That's where they wind up getting the biggest edge. Like, they're .09 because of how good they are in transition. Now, they're not the best They're not the best transition team. But overall, in terms of half-court uh, or transition offense and defense, they wind up being great. Like, they're eighth in transition offense um, per Synergy Sports, and they're uh, also eighth in transition defense. So, they are they've just been great on both ends. If you have that kind of solid advantage, that's going to get you a big thing. We're going to see this with a lot of the teams. We're going to talk about this. I think we'll talk about this a lot today is from my perspective, a lot of where I'm going to come from is a lot of teams have um, edges in transition because of how well they play in it. Not necessarily how often they do. And some of the teams I'm more skeptical of play a lot in transition, but aren't great at it. And that's going to be like a big question mark for me can playoff time. Look, the Cavs are solid, right? Obviously, like defensively is where they 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 make their bones, right? Like that's where they brew the broth. Um, they are fifth in half court defense. If you're elite in one of those areas, you're going to grade out pretty well under my system. Like they're 16th in half court offense, but they're getting such an advantage in half court defense based off of how often they make the opponent play in it that it gets them a big edge. They don't allow a lot of half court of transition opportunities, and when they are in transition, they score hyper efficiently. So that's where the Cavs get a really big bump from my system. Yeah, I think, too, we, we need to be careful. You know, the power ratings are what, what are we seeing from these teams right now in the regular season? And I think part of an answer to my question, why are we underrating them? Because we're looking to the playoffs and, and it's a different game of the playoffs. And do we trust this young team to get it done then? But it's a different answer to what about night to night? How are we going to bet the Cavs night to night? And how can we play some of their futures right now? We've talked about just on the last podcast on, on Monday, we talked about Cavs division odds. We talked about like JB Bickerstaff as a coach of the year. Just playing them in season before the playoffs can still be a big thing too. Yeah, and I think part of this too. Look, I mean, I don't know about you, Rob, but like I've bet the Cavs a lot. Like I've, I've, I've early season when their numbers popped up. Like that was a team that I started being like, they're still underrated. They're still underrated. They're still underrated. I think the market's catching up. Like we talked about this before the season about how the second half of the season is so tough. Because the books catch up like the books are like, no, 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 Mm -mm -mm. I'm not I'm not giving you Cavs plus six on this Wednesday night versus the Hornets. I'm not giving you, you know, Cavs plus four at home versus the Bulls. Um, And we saw last night they lost to Chicago. And I think that ultimately they'll probably come back down to earth a little bit. And the models will kind of reflect that one thing that Raheem, I think, has got a big edge on me is I don't have the capability. Not right now. I'm going to try and build in the offseason. I don't have the capability to sort by like date function. So I've got full season numbers. So if you're playing killer over the last two weeks, I'm not going to know. And I have to like manually keep in my head. Okay. They've been at like the Pelicans are a great example of this, but they're super low for me. I got to keep in mind, like they are a better team than they were in that first month of November. Um, with the Cavs, I think it's a big question of if I, I will just say this, like if the numbers keep popping out that they're a dog and the model shows an edge, like this is the really difference is they're, they've been a great team to bet. They've been great against the spread and the numbers have shown that they're not like, outperforming the power ratings that we have they're in line with how good they've been against the spread they had actually lost five of six at one point and you lose sex then you lose rubio and they stabilized enough to where they won five in a row so there's so many ebbs and flows within the nba season you can just see where a team will be undervalued for a while 
be overvalued and then undervalued again. And I think that's what happened with the Cavs. That's, that's a great point, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think there's value too to your system, Matt, to help avoid recency bias and avoid to an extent because if the team's playing better, maybe that's because uh, a player came back or because they're getting like there might be any number of important reasons to make the manual adjustment on a night to night game. But it might also just be that maybe they've had a softer schedule. Maybe they just have had their shots falling for a couple of weeks and we can fall prey to that. So I think it's not the worst thing in the world to include those early games because those are the data points that count too. Maybe not quite the same weight as the more recent ones, but it's good to get both of those. All right. So next year down, staying in the East, that's three East teams. We got the Miami Heat, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Philadelphia 76ers in that order. That is five, six, and seven in our composite. So Matt is carrying the ratings here because Matt has the Nets fourth and the Sixers sixth. I don't think that's super surprising from what the perception is. So Raheem, I need to hear from you. You've got the Nets 12th and the Sixers 13th in your ratings. Why do you feel like your ratings are down on both of these teams? And these are favorites. What, What can we take away from them being a little bit lower for you? I mean, one thing you have to realize with the Nets, they had some bad losses. They lost to like a Clippers team. So like, and it wasn't even close. So you're looking at a 12-point loss to the Clippers team, and that's going to impact your rating. So when you lose to the Oklahoma City Thunder, that's going to impact your rating. And, I, like, all this stuff is raw, and it's unadjusted. Like, I think they lost by 21 to, to the Thunder. So that's going to impact your net rating, and it inherently incorporates strength of schedule. So if you're losing to some of the worst teams in the league, your rating isn't going to come out too well. Conversely, then, Matt, your your ratings are high in both these teams. Is that a half-court offense thing, or why why does your system still trust the Nets and Sixers quite a bit? Yeah, Nets, they've got they have half-court advantage offensively, which you'd expect, right? Like, this is the most loaded offense that you would anticipate. So they've got um, a .035, and I understand these numbers don't mean a lot. Think of this as, like, to compare it, if you're looking at a team like Chicago, is that .035? Zero three two. So the Nets are better than Chicago, obviously. And if you're at a point zero three or above, you're pretty elite in half court in terms of the advantage versus the average team's offense. But the big difference for the Nets is that their defense was so good that first two months of the season that my model hasn't caught up. Right, their defense has been has been starting to fade, and my model hasn't caught up to that yet. Their half court defense still continues to be very strong, and so the overall measures are going to look way better. Like they are still currently ninth in half court defense league wide. Um, if you're listening to this and you're a Nets fan, you're probably like, Matt, you've been saying this and they're still ninth. At what point are you going to, I'm never going to, I'm never going to believe that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be a good half court defensive team for the whole of the season or in the playoffs. I will not leave this position. I will continue to play against it, but I will say like, look, if they do play this good of defense, if they are able to get stops, then it gives them a massive advantage because, you know, ultimately in half court, the Nets have one of the highest advantages of any team. I think they have the, the highest of any team in the league. They're at 0.05. Like no team, I don't think, even comes close to that. Like Golden State, well, never mind. Golden State's at 0.07. But the Nets are so good in half-court de- half court offense and really good in half-court defense that that's giving them a huge advantage. Uh, with the Sixers, I do want to note this. You guys know, this, is, this number has been up there all season, and it's been wild to me. The Sixers run some of the fewest transition opportunities in the league. So they basically just don't run. It makes sense, right? Yeah, and B, you're going to go down, you're going to walk the ball up, you're going to run your offense, and you're going to get the big fellow the ball. 
when they run, the Sixers are the number one transition offense in the league. Nobody scores better per possession than the Sixers. Um, now, my model accounts for how often teams run, but one of the big differences here is it's versus an average team. And if, if an average team gives up more transition opportunities than the Sixers usually run, it's going to bump the Sixers a little bit more than maybe they should be. It's a weakness in the model, but it's worked out pretty well in terms of betting. All right, we're going to keep moving. So next tier down, we're, the tiers are getting a little fatter in the middle here. That's how this usually works. So from eight to 13, these are the teams that I think we would probably think of as a second round playoff team, but we might be past the title contenders now. So at number eight, Dallas Mavericks, number nine, Chicago Bulls, 10, the Bucks, 11 Celtics, 12 Grizzlies and 13 Nuggets. So I have two questions in the section. The, the things that stood out to me here is at nine, the Bulls and 10, the Bucks. The Bulls are the one seed right now in the East and have been for a chunk of the season. Now, the Bucks are the defending champions. We've got them at nine and at 10 here. I think that that's going to be a little surprising. And you're both about even on where those teams are at in your model. That's about where you, your models both have them. So Raheem, what do we need to take away from the Bulls and Bucks being maybe a little lower than someone might expect here? Yeah, when it comes to the Bucks, I think a good comp for them is probably the LeBron Cavaliers of his second stint. Like, we know this team's not going all out in the regular season. They've had some injuries. You almost have to throw away the number when it comes to them because on certain nights they're going to show up in those primetime spots like against the Memphis Grizzlies and – the Golden State Warriors, they're going to show up and they're going to dominate. But for most of the season, they're kind of just coasting until they get there. So when it comes to the Bucs, I just don't even think you can even take the number seriously. When it comes to the Chicago Bulls, look, they've had some injuries all season long and they've floated by, but you're seeing that there's been a drop-off recently. And a lot of that has to do with a lot of the guys banged up. Zach Levine's out of the lineup. Caruso's been in and out of the lineup. Lonzo's been in and out of the lineup. And They've been fortunate to have DeRozan, who's been dominant in these fourth quarters. He's one of the highest fourth quarter scorers in the league right now. And he's he's hit some clutch shots. So they aren't necessarily blowing these teams out either. We're recording this on Thursday. Just earlier today, the news came out with Lonzo Ball. Looks like he's going to miss six to eight weeks now. So we're, we're getting a little shorthanded on my and Matt's Chicago Bulls this season. So hopefully the Bulls how, are they, how are they your Chicago Bulls now? You've been hating on them all. <laughs> always been my Chicago Bulls. Come on, I'm in my childhood bedroom. I got black and red behind me. I've been a Bulls fan my entire life. Let's keep moving. Still in the <laughs> 8 to 13 tier, though. So if you look at all the ratings, all of the teams we said, Mavs, Bulls, Bucks, Celtics, Nuggets, you've got them all somewhere between 8 and 13. The one team that neither of you have between 8 and 13 is the Grizzlies. They come in 12th in our composite. But Raheem has them at six. Matt, noted Grizzlies hater. Matt Moore, <laughs> 17th in the power ratings. Matt, I know you've been a Grizzlies guy for a long time. That, that's our biggest discrepancy. And I think our most important, sixth to 17th is a huge discrepancy. So yeah. what is your model not liking about the Grizzlies? The Grizzlies look like this explosive team. That's how they feel, right? They feel like this absolutely dynamic Ja, Desmond Bain, all the shooters, Darren Jackson, all this stuff. I was shocked when I looked at these numbers because I was trying to figure out the same thing. When you, when you put this out, I was like, what? why do I have them that well? Um, the Grizzlies this season are 24th in transition offense per possession and 23rd in half-court offense per possession. 
if you say, okay, Matt, but the net rating has them really dominant. And I was like, why? I was like, but they're not even good in transition. Like usually I'd be like, oh, well, they're probably just like running the hell out of teams and beating them that way. And here's like the, where it gets to, and Seth Partner helped me out with this because he, he directed me to cleaning the glass, which has got a number called points plus per possession. And what I ask is, what's your advantage based off of basically how often you run the type of offense? The Grizzlies are less efficient in transition offense on the fast break than most teams. They don't score as well. But naturally, definitively, transition buckets are always more efficient than half court. Think of it like that's easy, right? Layups, open threes, even if the Grizzlies aren't as efficient as the average team in transition, they do it a shit ton. Like they just run constantly. They have one of the highest transition rates in the league. So by simple virtue of opting for a more effective transition or a more effective offensive opportunity in transition versus half court, even though they're not great in that category, that's how they get that net rating. This has also helped me to understand we're, I, I hate to say this as a Grizzlies guy, guys. I know that you like the Grizzlies to make the Western Conference Finals. I'm telling you, these numbers scare the hell out of me as a Grizzlies guy. Mm-hmm. You get into half, you have to play half court when you get into the playoffs. Yeah. The, the, the Lakers were able to do it. They were able to be dominant in transition with stops, chaotic defense, and be able to play it. I don't think they're doomed depending on the matchup, but boy, their reliance on transition to boost up that net rating, I think is something that the overall net rating models are not accounting for. Part of Raheem's argument is that the Grizzlies would be a good favorite against the Warriors and the transition model fits against the Warriors because the one flaw the Warriors always have is the turnovers. The Grizzlies force their turnovers to get out and run Yep. get those little six, eight point swings in a hurry. And I think, you know, that's that's the exact sort of team that has always been able to damage the Warriors. So I think it is a matchup thing there too, where you're right against a team like the Jazz or like the Suns, that half court, you got you to convert now. And that's the problem there. But the Warriors, that is a team where if I'm the Warriors, I'm not that worried necessarily, but I might be kind of gaming the bracket and trying not to really get put the the Grizzlies in my path toward the end there. If we get to the playoffs and the Grizzlies knock off, let's say Denver, because Denver's kind of chaotic too. If the Grizzlies knock off the Nuggets or the even if let's say that they actually get past the Warriors and I'm like, screw it, I'm taking Memphis. They're just beating everybody. Like I'm right. I need you guys to remind me of this conversation if they go up against <laughs> Jazz or Phoenix. I need you to be like, but but Matt, like remember the whole thing and, I'll be, and then I'll disregard it. But at least you have done your part to try and warn me off of it because I got caught by the Nuggets last year by buying too much into narrative and not into the matchup. All right, let's keep moving. We, uh, we're just going to whip through the rest of the teams here. Obviously, we've hit the more important teams. Next, we got a little mini tier, 14, 15, and 16. Clippers, Timberwolves, Hornets. The only thing that stood out here is the Clippers here. So Raheem's got the Clippers at 21. That seems about what I was expecting. Matt, you have the Clippers at 10. So yep. I know this is a spot I wondered where... Is your model giving too much credit to the Paul George version of the Clippers and not adjusting yet, but he's, he's missed a bunch of games. How are the Clippers top 10 in your model? Defense, man. It's all defense. Uh, they've got a, they got a 0.03 advantage in uh, overall uh, half court based off of their defense, essentially. Like they are 
a slightly below average half court team. And part of that is because there's still, they still take a ton of threes. So even if they're not as efficient, like that's still going to boost you up in the half court uh, offensive ratings, typically per possession, because you're just getting more points. Right. And then uh, in transition, they have, uh, they actually have a, a little bit of a dog there. They're not as good in transition. Um, but I will just say like, it's largely based off of where they wind up advancing is they maintain the kind of style that they want. You saw this last night, I think versus the nuggets, they play the, the game where they want to play it in terms of transition and half court. They they win in the margins. You guys are always talking about how great a coach Ty Lu is. I think this is, to me, this is proof of that is that they're able to hang in there. Now, a lot of this is that, yeah, like as Paul George goes, like they've dropped, they've dropped from like top four to top eight and now they're 10. They'll probably be 16 here in short order, but I do think that they're, um, I'll stand by it. I think that they're better. They've performed well against the spread, even with PG and and Kawhi out. And I think Mm -hmm. part of that is that they win on the margins a lot. Yeah, and credit to Ty Lue too. We, we've we've given a lot of credit to him over the years, uh, but definitely he's he's got those guys playing. And you know, we shouldn't expect the Clippers to be anywhere near a tenth rating with as little as they've had from Paul George and nothing from Kawhi Leonard. So good on the Clippers for hanging in. All right, next tier down, seventeen to twenty-three. There's one team that shouldn't really be in this tier from what we thought coming into the season. See if you can spot it. Wizards, Raptors, Knicks, Los Angeles, Lakers, oh boy. Spurs, Hawks, and Pacers. So, Raheem, here's what I need to know from you. The Lakers are 20th in our composite ranking. You had them 23rd in your power rating. So, two questions. Number one, from your memory, what is the last time any LeBron team has been power rated this low in a model for you? And then second question What's the range of outcome for Lakers here on a power rating? How, how high could they get? How bad could it get? It's never happened. <laughs> like, it's just never happened. Like even with those Cavs teams where you saw that they were coasting and they were like really bad. Like even the, the year where they traded Kyrie, I kept saying everybody, the Cavs are second round X. The Cavs weren't this bad. Like this team is just complete dog shit. You saw that against the Indiana Pacers. They're controlled for most of this game. And then next thing you know, it goes left. Like this team, they can't score. They're 25th in offensive rating. They're 18th in defensive rating. This is not a good team at all. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that you don't have two-way players. You don't have Anthony Davis. You got Russell Westbrook, who's a turnover machine. It's just the pieces don't fit. So let me come back to the the range of outcomes then. Assuming that LeBron stays relatively healthy, because obviously we don't want to... You know, we don't need to figure out that factor. Assuming that, how how far up do you think that the Lakers can still get, you know, maybe Anthony Davis back looks good. They get some of the other guys going. And, and on the other hand, again, still assuming LeBron is mostly healthy, how, how far down can they fall? Can the Lakers miss the playoffs? Like, what, what do you think is the range of regular season outcome to you at this point? To me, like the highest they could possibly get up is in, like in the 14th, 15th range. And I think that's around where I have the Raptors and the Timberwolves. Like that's the best case scenario. If Anthony Davis comes back and LeBron is playing well and they bench Russell Westbrook, which I think they just came out today and said Vogel has permission to do so. Maybe they can, you know, trade somebody. That's probably the best case scenario for me. The worst case scenario, I think the season can go completely off the rails and they can miss the playoffs. Do you think they missed the play-in? No, because I, I like the Blazers are tanking. I don't believe in the Pelicans. I, I think they can make the playing game. 
Matt, why are the Lakers closer to average for you? I'll hit this quick. Um, they're 12th in, in transition offense. They're good. Like, that's really the answer is. And uh, defensively, they're 17th, which is okay. Defensively, they're hanging in the half court. They're 15th. Now they're 20th in half court offense. So what winds up happening in, uh, on my side of the power rating is they wind up zero. They are, they are exactly zero in half court. Like, that's what the advantage I show versus an average team is that they should tie a team in half court but they're a little better in transition. And so that gets them just like a slight, a smidge of an advantage in it. They are at 0.01 in net half court and defense uh, in in transition. So that basically is why I have them as an average team. And look, the standings kind of reflect this. Like they, they are a team that feels a lot worse than they are. Now they may not turn it around because I think they're about to Frank Vogel. And I think that's a mistake. Anthony Davis hasn't been good this season. And if he comes back, I don't know when he's going to give them. And they may wind up trading Russ and I don't know what they're getting back. But I'll just say, like, I continue to be hesitant to put the tombstone on because a lot of the under the hood numbers are like, they smell like dog shit. I'm not sure that they are dog shit. And that's the difference between me and Raheem. (laughs) Um, Matt, what do you think is a high end outcome for you on range of outcomes? Can they get up to 10th by the end of the season in yours? Probably 11th because 11th are the, you know, I've got the Clippers 10th. And so the Bucks are 11th. Yeah, it's got to be. I don't think they can get higher than 12. They can finish up there with the Celtics. Like they could be as good as the Celtics. And that to me is about as high as I can get them. Yeah. And on the lower end there too, just to come back to those teams down at the bottom. So the Lakers, as bad as it could be, their range of outcome, I think it still doesn't quite fall into that group of five. And then of course the bottom two, we've got the Magic and Pistons. Last question here, wrapping up. The only thing I noticed about this group of seven down at the bottom, Matt, you've got the Pelicans 28th. And that's really not particularly notable because Raheem only has them 25th. It's not a big difference. But in this case, it does mean that the Pelicans still fall behind the Thunder and the Rockets who are, you know, playing for like 2028 or something at this point. So you mentioned this with the Pelicans before. Obviously, they had the, the terrible start. Is that it? Is it just too much baked into the numbers or is there something else happening there? So, I mean, their offense has gotten back together since Brandon Ingram has been back playing with them. When they have Devontae Graham, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and JV, they actually play pretty well. But Brandon Ingram's been in and out of the lineup. And so that, I think, has tanked a lot of their numbers. A lot of this is, so so I explained, right? Like, there's more half-court opportunities than transition naturally. You're always going to have a lot more, like 80% of your offense, of your time spent on both ends of the floor is in half-court. Because guys can get back, right? And stop it. And you're like, all right, let's get a good possession. Well, here's the big differential is that in half court, the Pelicans are 27th in the league and in defense, they're 29th in the league. So if for the majority of the time you're terrible, even if you're trying to push the ball more, like this is the whole Grizzlies problem, right? Is that that's why I have the Grizzlies so much lower is that for the majority of the time, that team is not good in the small percentage of the time that team is very effective. And that differential is why, like they're able to stay higher, but in my rating, that's going to pound them because it basically says, look, if you just like play average transition defense, they're not going to be able to do enough against you. And that honestly, I think is a little bit more reflective of who they are. I think that that's fair. So my other question for you, and then you can get us out of here. Just on the last time the three of us were together, your back to the future was Pelicans under 11 and a half seed. Yep. So given this model and how your model is so low on the Pelicans, how do you reconcile those two? Did you just talk yourselves out of the under 11 and a half or do you still feel good about it? 
No, because the Pelicans have no incentive to, to peel off and tank. They need to try and actually look like a decent team to get some momentum, especially when if you know who decides that he's coming back, then they're definitely going to want to look pretty decent to try and remove, lower the chances of him taking a qualifying offer and bolting to the apple. So the long-term future of the Pelicans has a lot of positive outcomes. If they can get healthy, and that's a big if, but if they can get healthy, and there's also, I think, trade opportunities in there as well. But just based off of this, they can slide up those other teams that we talked about in, in, in Friday Futures, specifically because those other teams are the ones that are going to be like, oh, it's, is, it, is it All-Star already? Oh, oh man, that's a shame. Our star player has a hamstring. He's going to be out an indeterminate amount of time. So that's part of the equation as well. I don't think the Pelicans are good. I think that they have major problems. I think that there's a lot more drama coming to that team, but I do think that they can wind up getting 11th or 10th in the Western Conference. Yeah, I think so. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap it up today at the Buckets podcast. Matt, tell us again about the book that people can win. If you want to win a copy of Chris Herring from Sports Illustrated's new book, Blood in the Garden, just leave a five-star review on either Spotify or Apple. Let us know your Twitter handle. Hit me up on Twitter and you'll be eligible to win a random copy of Chris Herring's new book, Blood in the Garden, about the 90s New York Knicks. It's absolutely phenomenal. Check it out. Make sure to download the Action Network app to track your bets. Keep up with all that stuff. Until next week, we'll be back on Tuesday with the big picture, and we'll see you guys again next week. Let's get buckets. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.